step of the way, great has been your faithfulness. Every step of the way, your mercies have endured. Every step of the way, your loving kindness has lasted. It's been there again and again and again. Lord Jesus, thank you. Great is thy faithfulness. And we praise you and we honor you. And we thank you, Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for the precious promises from your word. And we embrace your word, we celebrate your word, and we stand firmly upon your word. This day we pray, speak to us, teach us your ways. Minister fresh grace and understanding to our hearts. We love you and praise you. Lord Jesus, we thank you again for your faithfulness, your mercy, and your grace. And all God's people said, God bless you. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Well, good morning. So good to see everybody out this morning. Once again, thank you for Sister Amy and all the children's church workers and helpers. It was a great three days. I mean, they had a truck there with ice. What are those things? Icicles? Not icicles. They're snow cones. Snow cones. Yeah. Man, they had the snow cone machine. They had it going on. So thank you, everyone that took part in VBS, and especially for all the workers and for the parents that brought out the kids, the grandparents. Thank you so much. We know awesome things were done for eternity. And with that, children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. Amen, amen, amen. Oh, hey, buddy. He won a prize. I, I saw that. He won a gold medal or something. He had something around his neck like a gold medal at VBS. He, he did the job. Well, praise God. It is so good to see everyone out this morning. Let's begin. We're going to begin with a question. Everybody ready? We start with a question. I want to make sure I'm talking to the right crowd. You know, I might have took a wrong turn. I haven't been myself lately. But anyway, do you love the Word of God? Do you believe that God gave it to us to reveal His will and to govern our lives? All right, that's all. I just want to make sure. I'll come to the right place. If you have your Bibles, if you would go to 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. If you've been with us, we've been just walking through and preaching through this book. And we've come to the fourth chapter. And we'll read our entire text. I'll comment on two points that we won't get to. And then we'll focus on Roman numeral one. The Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. 
As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. And now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what commands or instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of his brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives us his Holy Spirit. That'll be the walk of holiness. Let's continue to read. Verse 9 says, Now about your love one for another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. In fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, do so more and more. That's the walk of harmony. Love each other more and more. Love as brothers and sisters. Amen? Don't, don't be petty. Don't be back. Treat each other like you treat your own blood. Amen? Love one another. And wherever we're at, God says more and more. Let it increase. All right. Verse 11. This is the walk of honesty. And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. Don't be a busybody. That's the word of the Lord. That's a good word, isn't it? Don't be a busybody. Mind your own business. And work with your hands. Supply your own needs. Work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life, I like that, there's power in the witness of a daily life lived for Christ. The power of a daily life lived for Jesus shines in the workplace and in the neighborhood so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. That's the walk of honesty. That's the walk of honesty. We'll be focusing this morning on the first eight verses, and our title is Pleasing the Father, Pleasing the Father. And we glean that from verse number one. Paul says, I, I taught you, I gave you instructions on how to please God, and that should be our goal, those that say we love God. So again, we begin by asking ourselves this morning, what kind of life or walk pleases God? I say walk, but in some of your older translations, King James, New King James, it's walk instead of live. The walk was a picture, was a metaphor that Paul loved to use. But walk just means live, walk. And he said, you know, walk as children of light. Walk worthy of your calling. Don't walk as the Gentiles did. So Paul, you would see throughout his epistles, uses that phrase, walk. But it means to live, to, to live for Christ. So, but we recognize the Christian life begins with a step of faith. But then that step should lead to a walk of faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. So walking, gleaning with that, that thought from Paul, walking suggests progress. We see how our scripture said more and more, more and more. It might not always be spectacular, but if it's steady, 
there'll be progress and there'll be growth. And listen, you know, back in Paul's day, guess what? You know, there weren't any treadmills in Paul's day. Isn't that right? So if you were walking, that meant you're going somewhere. Let's go somewhere for Jesus. Amen. Let's go forward in the Lord. Let's go forward in grace. Let's go forward in our Christ likeness. So in, in our text, Paul describes um, a threefold walk for you and I to follow. If we truly desire to please God, and I want to please God. Anybody here want to please God? Amen. Some are wondering after we read the text, but we got it. To walk with God speaks of growing in God, maturing in God. Of progressing in faith and advancing in our Christ-likeness. Our three thoughts, the walk of holiness, verses 1 through 8, and that's what we'll really tackle this morning. Then the walk of harmony. That's 9 and 10, and that was where he said love each other more and more. Let there be harmony among God's people. Put aside the bickering and the pettiness that only grieves the spirit and tarnishes the testimony. And then walk of honesty, verses 11 and 12. May your daily life be a good example to those around you. Work hard. Mind your own business. Take care of yourself. Come on, say amen to that. But this morning, a walk of holiness, verses 1 through 8. You know, the Bible is the Word of God, and it is very relevant for today. And I could easily spend a lot of time this morning beginning with a discussion of the many heartbreaking statistics that plague our world and certainly our country, because the Word of God is not honored in the area of personal purity, sexuality, and self-control. We can mention abortion or abuse. We can mention the addictions, the perversions, disease, and divorce the countless numbers of innocent victims because God's word concerning this part of humanity is thrown aside and laughed at. But let us never ever forget there is a price to pay when God's word is ignored, rejected, or defied and the people of God should say. This morning the message will have a lot of ways it can be applied. I'm just going to preach it and trust the Holy Spirit to make it personable and applicable. Let's open our hearts this morning and let's hear the word of the Lord. A walk of holiness, a walk of holiness, verses 1 through 8. Now, it's important for you and I to remember that the moral climate of the Roman Empire was terrible, to say the least. Immorality, it wasn't just a way of life. It wasn't just normal. It wasn't just acceptable. It was expected in the lifestyle of that day. I mean, through immorality... That's how many of the pagans were actually worshipped their gods. That's how you behaved if you joined the union. All that was, immorality was all interwoven in that. It wasn't just allowed, it was expected. So many slaves among the population that the citizens had ample time just to indulge in the latest pleasure or perversion. So not surprisingly, can you imagine, not surprisingly, The Christian message of holy living was new to the culture and was not easy for some of these young believers that Paul is addressing. You see, in that first century, moral standards were very, very low, and chastity, purity, was regarded as an unreasonable restriction. But we notice whether it's Paul or Peter or James or John, they would never compromise God's clear standard or demand because the culture was so rotten. Can you say amen? Note that Christians have always refused to accept their standards from contemporary culture. And we must do the same. 
Jesus said, you are, Christian, you are the light of the world. And friend, the darker that it gets in society, the more and more the child of God should be shining and standing out, not blending in. Don't feel strange or ashamed to live differently. You are different if you belong to Jesus. If you belong to Him, you're different. You're the light and the world's the darkness. You're the life and they're the death. And Paul gives this young church four reasons why they should live holy and abstain from all sexual sins. Number one is to please God. That's basic, that's elementary, but it's right there in verse number one. Paul writes, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. To please God. You know, everybody lives to please somebody. (laughs) Who it is that you're trying to please will determine your eternity. Everyone lives to please somebody. And pleasing God ought to be the major motive for the Christian life. You know, Jesus said in John's Gospel, the fifth chapter, verse 30, he, he expressed his desire and he said these words, I, this is Jesus, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Isn't that wonderful? Even Jesus didn't come about, so I'm going to do my own thing. No one's going to tell me what to do. He said, my desire, motivation, I want to please the Father. Wow, if you're going to be like Jesus, you want to please the Father. You know, Paul had to answer or defend his style of preaching. 1 Thessalonians 2 and 4. And he writes these words. You know what? We preach like this because we're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. When it comes down to it, don't matter what anyone thinks, one day every preacher will stand before the living God. You can put a plaque up to him. You can name a hall after him. But when he stands before God, you stand naked before the Almighty. Amen? And when it comes, it don't matter what any man thought. It does matter what he thinks. Paul goes on in the book of 2 Corinthians and thinking and realizing with the knowledge that one day he'll stand before God and we'll all stand before that judgment seat. 2 Corinthians 5 and 9, Paul says these words, Therefore, we make it our goal to please him. If you truly believe one day you'll stand before God, then number one on your priority list, number one on your bucket list, make sure you live to please God. When all is said and done, a lot of things, you might not get there. I just told someone, I'd like to get down to the Keys. One of the few things I want to do in Florida, most of my desires are more towards the Northeast, but, but one thing in Florida I'd like to do, if God would allow me, I'd like to get to the Keys sometime. Amen? I, I would enjoy that. Hopefully, it won't be, you know, it'll be in January, February, but I, I want to, I'd like to get there. It's one of my, my deals here, but I'll tell you something, what? If I never get there, it's okay. But if I'm not right with Him on that day, it's not okay. Pleasing God. You see, some Christians got it backwards. They think life's about God pleasing them. You can say amen. It's all right. Pleasing God should be a natural, natural desire for the Christian. The new birth. That nature has a natural desire. Just like the old nature had a natural desire. You see, a natural desire, it's a sign that a person is truly converted. New life brings new nature, which brings new desires. And certainly, those of us that truly know the Lord, there should be a new appreciation for the Lord and for all that He's done for you and I. The Christian should care 
and have a sincere desire to live in a way that pleases their Heavenly Father. You know, when you love someone, you don't want to hurt them, do you? You do not want to wound them. You do not want to disappoint them. He has done so much for us. He's been so good to us. He's been so kind and so full of mercy towards us. How many times could he have thrown the book at us? How many times could he have just said, you're disqualified? But he was there again and again. He was there to forgive. He was there to restore. He was there to give us a second chance. Friend, if you truly love him, then you want to please him and never grieve him. And that's normal for the child of God. So number one, the first reason to live holy and abstain from impurity is I love and I want to please the Lord. Just appealing, not getting deep, no Greek, no Hebrew, no Italian here. I'm appealing to those who call themselves Christians. Isn't this reasonable and common sense for those that truly love Jesus? So number one, I want to please God. That's why I'm going to live holy. But number two, I want to obey God. I want to obey God. And if you look at verses 2 and 3, you'll see in verse 2, God has given us his commands. In verse 3, God has revealed his will. Number 1, God has given us his commands. Verse verse 2, it says, For you know what instructions... Now, that word for instruction is different than verse 1. That word means God has given us his commands. And we gave you those commands by the authority of Christ. And then verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, avoiding sexual immorality. So I want to obey God. I want to obey God. We see in verse 2, God has given us this instruction, this clear commandment. Again, this word has an authoritative command, a military ring or tone to it. God has given believers commands, not suggestions, not suggestions. Concerning personal purity, we don't get to vote on it. The command is um, a word of a military superior handing orders down to someone below him. And the Bible teaches that you and I that love the Lord, we're sons of God, but we're also soldiers of Jesus Christ. And a soldier must obey the orders of his commander. 2 Timothy 2 and 4, how Paul writes, No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs because he wants to please his commanding officer. I want to please my commander. I want to please my Savior. So obeying God is another reason why I'm going to live holy. Because God has clearly instructed me and commanded me to live that way. I'm called to live holy because he is holy. I am reminded that it was not with silver or gold that I was redeemed, but with the precious blood of Jesus. It costs so much for God to make us right with him, and now he calls us to live in that righteousness, to obey God. He's given us commands in verse 3 very clearly. God has revealed his will. Therefore, no Bible-believing Christian can plead ignorance to this. He's revealed his will. Look at verse 3. It is God's will. Can't get any clearer than that, can you? <laughs> I, I, I mean, you, you, can't, you can't mess that one up, can you? Isn't that right? And when it says it is God's will, you don't got to pray about it, do you? Some things you don't got to pray about, they're just clear. Isn't that right? Now, some things you might have to pray about, all right? Should we go to St. Augustine or the Keys? I don't know. Some things you might want to pray about, but there's other things you don't pray about. You obey it or you disobey it. That's the only choice you get. God makes it simple, don't he? Hallelujah. Verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid 
sexual immorality. Again, nothing to seek counsel about or pray about. Congress and culture have nothing to say as far as the believer is concerned. The scripture is clear and no amount of liberal theology or modern philosophy, political plout, can change it. God's word is very clear. He says in verse 3, be sanctified. Live a set-apart life from that culture and the moral value system of what's accepted in this world. Be set apart from that and be set apart to live for God and live God's way. Be sanctified and abstain. Abstain means to refrain, to stay away from sexual immorality. And real quick, that, that word in the Greek, pretty much, to keep it simple, it means anything. Outside of married man and woman. That's the only kind of sex God accepts. Man and a woman in holy matrimony. I asked you earlier, do we love our Bibles? Yeah. Now this kind of teaching should not surprise the Bible-believing Christian. Because as a believer, we understand and we live accordingly. We understand that God created sex. Do we believe that? I believe that. How did Brother Hagee say it? Some of y'all shouldn't be so surprised about mentioning sex in church. Most of you are here because of it. But anyhow, I mean, unless you were hatched or come from another planet or something. I mean, you know, I mean, so it's in the book. Isn't that right? So we're going to learn from it. Amen. But we believe that God created sex. Therefore, God has authority to govern its use. And they're right. He's the boss. That he created it for the continuance of the race and the pleasure of the marriage partners. As one teacher said it, procreation and recreation. All within the boundaries of marriage. Procreation and recreation. All within the boundaries of marriage. We believe that from the beginning God established marriage as a sacred union between one man and one woman. Notice God established. The state did not establish. The state has no right to try to control, just obey God. Society did not establish. Not even the church, but God has established from the beginning. God, 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 God. He did not create or bless live in common law or same sex. Never has and never will. Now I'm not trying to be mean or ugly to anybody, but this is the clear, unchanging word of the living God. Hebrews 13 and 4. Let's look at that together. Hebrews 13 and 4. The Bible says marriage. Underline that marriage. This is Hebrews 13 and 4. Marriage should be honored by all. Honored means held in esteem. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer in all the sexually immoral. This is New Testament. Some people think the judgment of God went out in the Old Testament. They haven't read the New. We, said, we learn here in Hebrews 13 4 that marriage, number one, should be honored. Marriage should be honored. Marriage is a good thing. Marriage is a God thing. Can you say amen? Marriage should be honored, esteemed, and marriage should be deemed precious. And those who fail to honor marriage, fail to honor the Creator, 
and the designer and the ruler of marriage. Marriage should be honored in marriage, according to Hebrews 13 and 4, should be kept pure. There should be purity, loyalty, sensitivity, fidelity, devotion within that marriage. Let us remember that God's commandments concerning sex are not for the purpose of robbing people of joy, but rather protecting them that they might not lose their joy. Brother Wearsby put it like this, Thou shalt not commit adultery builds a wall around marriage that makes the relationship not a prison, but a safe, beautiful garden. Now we close this thought, it's God's will that we be sanctified and set apart for God. Now, that word sanctified doesn't mean perfect, but that we are given ourselves. We give ourselves over to God to do His will the best we can. And when we do that, when we do our part, then a process begins in which old ways and old habits are increasingly done away with and they're replaced by new ways that are in line with God's will and in line with God's word. And friend, in a day where sexual sins are paraded as entertainment in the movies and in the TV, where they're applauded and exalted in the courtrooms and in the classrooms and in the media, the church needs to take a stand for the purity of the marriage bond and the purity of the individual. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Talking about this walk of life, this walk of holiness. I'll walk holy because, number one, we want to please God. That was verse number one, wasn't it? And that common sense, if we love God and we sing to God, we want to please God. He's done so much for me. That's my only proper response. I want to please this great God. Amen? But secondly, I want to obey God. I want to obey Him. And He's been clear. He's given me some commands. There are some things He's given us. You know, hey, you, you can go blonde or brunette, whatever the Lord's will is. I mean, God gives us choices in a lot of things. But some things he gives us no choice about. And he commands us specifically. And those things are to be received as commands. Clearly revealed by the creator and the judge. Number three. This walk of holiness not only pleasing and obeying God. But it's to glorify God. When we walk in holiness. Our lives glorify God. Just as much as God is glorified when we sing with all of our hearts and we praise God enthusiastically, God is glorified when we live a holy life before him and man. That's verses 4 and 5. Look at this. Verses 4 and 5. That each of you, he's talking to every one of us, should learn to control your own body. What you have in some of the King James, possess your vessel. That means control yourself. Possess your vessel. You're the vessel of the Lord. Control it. Each of you should learn to control your own body. How? In a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who don't know God. The world doesn't know God. That's why they're so confused. That's why they're so crazy. Amen? That's why they think it's all right for a boy to act like a girl. They're lost. They're lost. They're darkened in their understanding. But those that have come to know the Lord, we know better. We've got the command in the word of God. Amen. We've got the light of his revelation. So I want to glorify God with my life. And obedience and holiness is something that does please God and honors God. And the world might laugh and the world might mock and the world might make fun. 
But the Lord is honored and the Lord is well pleased and that's what matters. Can you say amen? Christians are supposed to be different. I'm going to say it again. Christians are supposed to be different. And if we can't tell, then we're not there. Christians are supposed to be different. Jesus said, you're not of this world. Not of this world. No, no, no. Now I want to take verse 4. And I want to glean four points from verse 4 on how we can glorify God and how we can sanctify this body for the glory of God. And someone might say this morning, I got sex down pat. Well, thank God for you. Uh, but maybe you don't have your mouth down pat. Maybe you don't have your mind down pat. I hit anything that moves, brother. Amen? It's still part of this body that we give to God, don't we? So, so don't, don't turn me off if I'm missing your channel. you got a channel. Listen to the word of the Lord. Help God you apply it there. Glory to God. Four points. Verse 4. Look at verse 4. Each one should learn to control his, or his own body in a way, here it is, holy and honorable, holy and honorable. You know, Chuck Swindoll, that, that wonderful Bible teacher, we, most of us have heard him on radio, maybe read his books. He, he writes, following these verses, no one remains pure by accident. Isn't that true? Can we all say amen to that? Yeah, true. And no, no one remains pure by accident. And he goes on, he goes on to say, it demands honesty, effort, and wisdom to live pure in this unpure world. It calls for making changes. Isn't that right? You don't stay pure and holy by accident. You've got to make some changes when you come out of that world. It calls for building protective walls and establishing standards that will keep you from the trap, the deception, the lure of immorality. And that deception and that lure is everywhere. It's on the billboard, it's on the commercial, it's in the music. And if you don't, you know, or if you're not intentional about living pure, you're not going to live pure. In order for the believer to control his or her body in a way that is holy and honorable, they must stay strong spiritually, of course, but also far from vulnerable places and positions that lead to defeat or destruction or deception. I say it again, and it's a whole lot easier to avoid temptation than it is to resist temptation. Amen? Maybe I'll use this illustration, one in the notes, but I think everyone can apply this, all right? I don't know about you, but I seem like ever since I became an adult and, and left college and athletics, I've been on a diet or some kind of diet, all right? One thing I've learned about dieting, it's a whole lot easier not to have those freshly baked tall house chocolate chip cookies sitting on the counter. It's a whole lot easier just not having them in the house than it is having them there and have to resist it hour after hour after hour till finally it seizes you and oh, there they go. You put them in the ministry and make them disappear. Amen? It's a whole lot easier when they're not there. Am I right? Am I right? So to make some proper wisdom decisions and how you arrange and order your life just makes it a lot easier. Sometimes in the beginning, if you got to get rid of the computer, get rid of Sometimes you got to do certain radical things. Jesus said that, though, didn't he? He says, cut it off. He says, be radical about your effort to live right. So number one, God says, I want you to live holy and honorable. But then the next word that we glean from verse 4 is that word control. Control. Now, King James, possess your vessel. 
possess your vessel. You're the vessel, Lord. Take control of yourself. Amen. You know, the Bible teaches us to control ourselves, doesn't it? I'm going down the side issue, but let me give you another example. When it comes to worshiping God, control yourself. There's a time to run the aisles and a time to sit. There's a time to prophesy and a time to sit and listen to the preacher. The Bible says that, doesn't it? You know the Bible, right? It says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the... So don't ever say I couldn't help myself. You could help yourself. You just got to learn to control yourself. Possess your vessel. There's a time to prophesy and a time to hush. There's a time to shout and time to listen. Time to run that aisle and then a time just to sit and don't be a distraction. Woo! Maybe someone at home needed that. Take it. Read it and weep. Amen. Possess that vessel. Amen. I didn't have to say those mean words. I could have bit my tongue. I did. Because I didn't control myself. I let that old nature have, have the upper hand. Any, any of y'all ever let the old nature get the upper hand? And you feel lousy afterwards. Say, Lord, forgive me, but those words can't come back. Woo! I'm feeling this. I could run with this. Control. Possess your vessel. You know, one of the greatest gifts that Christianity brought to that immoral Roman Empire was not only the power to be forgiven, but it was the power to be set free and to live free from the bondages and perversions of sin, death, and its hold. The power of self-control as opposed to the power of self-destruction comes through Jesus Christ. If you want to see someone destroy their lives, just live for the flesh. Just live for yourself. Just live for the passions. Well, Christianity came that we could live for the glory of God. Christianity came that sin no longer has to have dominion or dominate our lives. Though that old nature is there till we see him and get glorified, yet it doesn't have to win anymore and control us anymore. We can walk in this new life. We can walk by the Spirit of God. Self-control. Forgiveness and true freedom comes through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary and then by the indwelling of His Holy Spirit within us to live it. And self-control is one of the basic themes and blessings of the Christian message. Talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the last one mentioned, self-control. The ability to control passions and appetites. More bondages out there. Christianity, say you're free to walk for the glory of God. A gift for every believer is the ability. 2 Timothy 1 and 7, God didn't give us a spirit of fear. So if you're battling with fear, no, that comes from hell. That comes from the old nature. God wants to set you free. God wants to give you a good night's sleep. God wants you to learn how to walk in peace that passes understanding. If you're a child of God, you don't got to put up with things the world puts up with. They get the blessings from their idols, and you can get the blessing from the true and living God. Amen? God did not give us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind, which means self-control. What did God give us? He gave us power. Woo! Power. Power to live in this fallen world and power to live like God wants us to live. He gave us love. It's hard to love people in my own love, but thank God He gives me His love so I can walk in the love of God. What else did He give me? Clear thinking or self-control. This world doesn't have to deceive you or defile you. It doesn't have to enslave you or enshame you. You can walk free. You can walk holy. You can walk like a child of God because 
because greater is he that's within you than he that's in the world. Shout amen. Oh, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible says it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. How many believe Christ can overcome pornography? Christ can overcome adultery. Christ can overcome any perversion. Yes, he can. And if he's in you and you're walking by the spirit and not the flesh, so can you. Somebody say amen. Now I was going to try to be dignified with this message, but I just couldn't help myself. I said, I'm going to be pastoral. My natural income, I'd rather be under a tent hopping and running and jumping and shouting and just having church. I said, this is one of them messages. You better be proper now. You better be prim. You better, you know, not get too much because I get away from them notes. You never know it's going to fly. Amen. And this is one of them topics. You want to watch where it flies. And I said, no. Whew. Glory to God. You can live this life if you want to live this life. You can live. The, tell that neighbor. You can live this life if you want to live it. I tell you by the authority of God's word. You can live this life. If you want to live this life. The Bible is the word of God. It gives us a clear, clear, relevant pattern. Of what God desires and what God expects. But don't stop just with the pattern. The word. The written word is the pattern. But the indwelling spirit is the power. To live it. To walk it. In our own strength. It would be a frustrating life. In our own strength we would fail continually. To try to do what God commands. But not have the power of God to walk in it. But you don't got to live this in your own strength. You don't got to live this by just grinding your teeth. No. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It now dwells in you. Right now it dwells in you. And that's an enabling spirit. That's an overcoming spirit. That's a spirit that will enable you to prevail if you want to prevail. I'm telling someone you can overcome that bondage. You can live like a man of God if you want. It takes a desire. It takes an obedience. It takes an effort. But if you do your part. God will do his. Somebody say amen. Oh glory. You can live it. You can live it. You don't got to backside every other month. You can walk it for the glory of God. Hallelujah. Woo. We're getting warmed up now. We're in verse 4. Woo, what a verse. So far we've looked at holy and honorable. Then we've looked at control. 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 You can control. you got the spirit of self-control if the Holy Ghost is in you. The next one, your body. Your body. Don't worry about someone else's body. You worry about your own body. Your body is to glorify God. Each of you should learn to control your own body. Right there in verse 4. Your own body. Now the Bible tells us that our bodies. We talk about our body. We all talk about our body. Bible talks about the body. We all talk about the body. I asked you earlier if you believe that book is God's book. Body. Quite a body, isn't it? Quite a body. The only one I got. got use it for the glory of God. You know, the Bible tells us that our bodies are God's temple. Are God's temple. But also God's instrument and God's tool. That's just a couple of verses. The Bible tells us our bodies are God's temple. You know, a temple is a place of worship, isn't it? That our body, we worship God. They're not our own. We've got a new owner. We've been purchased by the blood. I don't even get to control my, my body's not even really mine. It's God's. Now, in case you forgot your scripture, 
1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. Ooh, talk about our body. Isn't that right? Some people in love with their bodies. Someone said to Christina one time, you had all these tattoos. My, I don't want to go down that road too much. I tell you, I hit everything. I'll kill it. Well, your body is, well, what you call that? A, a billboard, not a billboard. What do you think you paint on? Canvas. I said, I wish you would have said that to me. I said, no, little girl, your body's a temple of the Holy Ghost, and you're supposed to live it holy. Ah, feeling good now. You ready for the Bible? Are we Bible people? Flee from sexual immorality. What are you supposed to do about sexual immorality? What do you do? What do you do? You better believe it. Get away from it. This is to the Corinth. Now, Corinth was worse than Thessalonica. Those Corinthians are the most vile people. If you want to insult someone morally, you call them a Corinthian. Because that place was wicked. I mean, that's how they worshiped their gods. They had just, that you went in and did, that was part of their worship. Wicked. Now all these people getting saved, they grew up from the time they were old enough to grow up to think this is not only normal, it's supposed to be expected, encouraged. Now Paul says, guess what? Now you're a Christian. You didn't just change philosophy, you changed everything. You changed lords. You change masters. Woo! He says, someone comes to you about, flee! Don't toy with it. Don't excuse it. Run from it. Good barriers and good borders. Flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside their body. Whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. You bring curse upon yourself when you abuse your body sexually. Next verse. 19. Do you not know, Paul says, that your body, here we go, that body again, that body again, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Who is in you. The Holy Spirit's in you. Your body's a temple. Whom you receive from God. Let's what you are not your own. Oh my. I'm a temple that's been purchased. Oh, the blood of Jesus purchased me. He expects me to use his body in a way that honors him at all times. From the words I speak to the thoughts I have, to the way I use my hands. Amen? They're to bless, not to harm. They're to give, they're not to steal. Hallelujah. You were bought at a price, therefore glorify or honor God with your bodies. Wow. So our, our, our bodies, they're, they're, they're a temple of the Holy Spirit. They're purchased by God. But you know what? They're also instruments that we are supposed to offer to God that he might use this body any way he wants. Some of you songbirds, that gift's not for you. It's for the rest of the body. God give you that gift. He wants you to use it to glorify him. Isn't that right? Some got wonderful gifts of teaching. It's not just so you can get smarter and haughty. It's so you can use that gift to feed the flock and open up the scripture to some that don't have that gift. Amen? Romans 12, verse 1. Talking about our bodies. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. <laughs> I know I had no, I had Nancy with the Lord now. She went back to Zion back when Sister Gibson was still alive. They're old friends, right? Old friends back there. She assembly God, ordained assembly God minister, like back in the 50s. You know, back in the 50s, that, that, that was a rare thing. 
My, 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 great, my great aunt, she was old school, holiness. You know that old school. All they did is prayed and lived holy. I mean, they, 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 they were it. They knew their Bibles. I'll tell you, they knew their Bibles, and they lived holy. And then she got old. She got, when she got old, she spent some time <laughs> down, down Long Island um, with some, some relatives. They were also believers, but it was a whole different generation. And so she old, she's staying there with her, her nephew and, 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 and my, my younger aunt. Well, I guess, I guess the church they were attending, they, they had those, um, um, what do you call it? I don't know if it's Pilates or aerobics, some kind of class for the women during the week, all right? Well, you know, you, you might as well just tell an old timer what in the world. And so um, my younger aunt, he says, Aunt I'm going to church. I'll be back in a bit. And she's dressed in whatever, leotards, whatever they wear for those things. And, you know, and a Jane Fonda look or whatever. And... Um, so my great aunt said, you're going where? Going to church. You're going where? Aunt Elga, I'm going to church. Like that? She, she goes, yeah, they're having aerobics class. Aerobics class? What are you talking about aerobics class? Back in my day, little prayer and fasting. That'll do the trick. You don't need an aerobics. And she was, but you know, that old generation was that old generation. But anyway, let me get back to the body. All right, all right. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, I urge you. God says, I urge you. When God's urging something, that means God says, hey, I'm in business here. In view of God's mercy, everything I do is in view of God's mercy. If it wasn't for God's mercy, I would have been dead and in hell a long time ago. Right? To offer your, what are we offering? Offer this body. Not as a dead sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Holy, pleasing. There we go, pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. You see, one part of worship, beautiful, important part, is when we gather and sing and praise and clap. That's a beautiful, biblical, important part. But worship goes throughout the day. Worship is my entire life lived for God. And God says, as far as your, your body is concerned, I want you to offer your body to me. I didn't, I didn't just give Jesus my heart. I gave Jesus me. And he says, one way you worship me and please me is you offer your body to me as not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. I give myself to you so that you can use this body, whether it's to pick up moss, to keep God's house looking pretty. Or support the, the lemonade for the little ones so that during VBS they're taken care of and the teachers can just get kids that are ready to listen and hear the Bible story. Amen. Whether it's working with the young boys at the Rangers or teaching the missionettes and the daisies and all those things. Whether it's visiting the old folks' home. Whether it's going to the prison where there's young kids and incarnated and incarcerated. Offer my body as a sacrifice that God can use my body, my hands, my voice, my mind, my talents, any way God wants. But God won't force us to do anything. How many know that? That's why Paul says, you offer it. You say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours, Lord. You want to use me in a way, Lord, just let me know. I give myself to you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, isn't God good to us? Isn't God good to us? Now, our topic here I'm a, is sex the same way that we offer our minds, our mouths, our hands, 
to God to bless and to glorify Him and use. Same way the gift of sex contains both that privilege and the responsibility. Used properly, it's a great blessing. Used improperly outside God's parameter and boundaries, it brings great sorrow. By God's design, marriage protects and prospers the gift of sex. One more verse here for verse 4. We've got one more, and it's a verse learn, learn, learn. Learn's interesting, isn't it? Each of you should learn, learn to control. Now this takes us back to Swindoll's quote where he said, no one remains pure by accident, and that's true. But anyone that wants to live this life can live this life. So let's think about this. Besides staying strong and growing spiritually, besides being strong in the word and in prayer and faithfully attending the house of God, what can I do to set myself up for victory and not defeat in this area? Three quick thoughts, very quick, but they're, but they're simple. And, and again, if you, you can work harder or you can work... Number one, never, never enter into any relationship not pleasing to God. Just don't get into it. You won't have to fight your affections and all the rationalizations if you just set down the rule. If this is not of God, I don't get in this relationship. Simple enough, amen? That makes it simple. I mean, again, build good borders. Use wisdom. But secondly, go the extra mile to keep ears, eyes, affections from things that would seduce. Be smart. Be smart. Don't trigger. Live smart. Number three, demand of yourselves and others boundaries and safeguards when dealing with any one of the opposite sex. Isn't that that good? Just make some rules. That's all. Contact, conversation, dress, appearance. Make some demand of yourself and others. Boundaries. Safeguards. When dealing with anyone of the opposite sex. That's all. Position yourself for victory, not defeat. Isn't that good? Amen? Don't be alone with that person. Don't be, I mean, common sense. Don't go down that vein of conversation with that person. Amen? Don't get into that emotional realm with that person. You can commit emotional adultery as quick as you can commit physical adultery. Okay, I'm going to keep it here because I don't want to go too deep on this, but I'm closing down, but just uh, I love that big clock. Even I can see it. Amen. Our sermon this morning is Pleasing the Father. That's our title. And our first thought that we really emphasized I please the Father by walking in holiness or living holy. And we, had our, we have four points. Number one, I want to please God. And that was verse one. And if we love God, we want to please God. Is that common sense to us all? Amen? But secondly, I want to obey God. This is, oh, I'm pleasing God. Well, obey God. And God's made certain things clear to us. Not everything is clear to us. That's true. Amen? There's some things we've got to pray about. Some things we seek counsel about. Other things, it's very clear. But I also, I want to glorify God. One of the ways I glorify God is I give God, I give God my all. Amen? I give God my all. I want to glorify God. And then last but not least, it's negative, but it's real. I want to escape the judgment of God. That might be for the immature. You know, you know, the younger they are, there's got to be more 
quick punishment. They can't live. They can't apply principle well. You've got to give them clear rules when they're little. Amen? The older we get, we should be able to apply. But this is still in the book. To escape the judgment of God. Would you look at verses 6 through 8? We're closing with this, but let's just follow it. And that in this matter, we're talking about sexual immorality. No one should wrong or take advantage of a brother and sister. The Lord will punish all. See that word all? You know, we, we love to talk about God being no respecter of persons when it's working in our favor. But here's another one. Guess what? God's no respecter of persons. Amen? This it says right here, all. He'll judge me as quick as he'll judge. He says all who commit such sins as we told you and warned you. So they touched on these topics back in that immoral age. Just a thought. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live holy. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, the very God that gives you the Holy Spirit. The last thought, to escape the judgment of God. Because God's not a respecter of persons, and God will deal with anyone that blatantly just disobeys him. And I want to avoid unwanted consequences. How about you? But you know, God can and will forgive us. He'll forgive an act. But consequences remain. How many know that? I think it was Brother Wearsby one time that says, so many of the things I deal with in the church are the results of forgiven sin. Forgiven sin. They go, you can come, ball and squall, and God will forgive you. But there's still the seed that was sown. Isn't that right? Sure, sure. So what we're going to do now as we close, we want to respond by just making a fresh offering of ourselves to God. A fresh surrender. We want to search our hearts and offer ourselves to God, following that Romans 12 pattern. Amen? But then I meant, Lord, use my hands for your glory. Maybe I got this topic pretty controlled and pretty well, but Lord... I still deal with a little bit of gossip and murmuring. Lord, I want to give you my tongue. Lord, my mind, I'm still battling with things in my mind. I want to give you my mind. Lord, I've been wasting a lot of time doing things that don't matter to anything, and I haven't been serving you as I ought. Well, Lord, I'm going to give you my time. But the important thing is we make a fresh offer ourselves to God. The Bible teaches us that. That we might be pure, obedient sons and daughters. Amen? Amen, 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 amen. Stand with me, stand with me, stand with me. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray the prayer, longer prayer than normal. But I'm going to pray the prayer. And what we want to do is offer ourselves to God. If you are here today and you're living in sexual immorality, then repent of it. That's all. Say, Lord, forgive me. I ask you to forgive me. I'm sorry and I'm going to change. Lord, I'm going to change. And I'm going to start living in line with your word. That's all. I've got no excuse, Lord. I can't plead ignorance. Your word is so clear. Lord, forgive me. I don't want to do anything that grieves you. I don't want to do anything that's going to bring your judgment on my life. That's for sure. So, Lord, forgive me. I repent. You know, repent means to turn. I'm going to turn from that behavior, that thought, or that attitude, and I'm going to get in line with God's behavior and God's word and God's obedience. So if you're here today, and things are not where they need to be in this area. Make an altar. Say, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. I thank you that the blood of Jesus will cleanse me 
if I sincerely seek your forgiveness and do my part to turn from this behavior and start doing what is right in your eyes. And if you'll do that, then as quick as quick can be, God will cleanse, God will restore, God will revive. Now, if you need prayer for anything else, of course, we'll pray for you. But for the bulk of us, again, it's going back to Romans 12. Paul writing to Christians, offer your bodies. You know, some people think Christianity is just, I just give Jesus my heart, and the rest of me does my own thing. I just kind of change the way I think. I believe different, but I act the same. No, 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 no. There's an offering, Lord, I'll offer you. Every area. Whether it's sex, or whether it's just the way I use my mouth. I want to be an obedient son. I want to be pure and obedient in your sight. I'm going to pray the prayer. And then when we get done praying, this is offer ourselves to God, a fresh altar. Give yourself as God's instrument and God's vessel. And let's just sing this through a few times. If you want to come to the altar, of course you can. If you need prayer, of course you can get it. Let us pray. Father, Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to stay pure in this impure world. And Lord, if there's anything in me, in my life, that's not pleasing, or possibly that's grieving your spirit, help me, Lord, to identify it and repent of it. Because I want to please you, Father. I thank you, God, for the forgiveness that is available to those that will sincerely seek it and come clean. And Father, I ask you this morning, if anyone is struggling, help them to get victory in this area. Help them to overcome anything that's holding them back from obedience and walking with you as they ought. Now, Father, following the pattern of Romans 12, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. May every part of us live under the control of the Holy Spirit and for your glory. Our minds, our mouths, our motives. And Father, right now as we draw near in worship, receive our worship and wash and purify your people afresh. In Jesus' name, in all God's people said, Let's offer ourselves to God and sing this one time through. Make your